Okay, thank you guys for coming back. This is, I believe, part 18 of extremist literature. Right now we're in the book, Pure Worship of Jehovah by Jehovah's Witnesses. We are on chapter number 9, page 107. I think we left off last time on paragraph 31. So Jehovah's Witnesses, in this book, they had given a list of promises. Just going to catch us back up real quick. Let's give twenty paragraph 26 a read, because it's pretty short. It says, The restoration prophecies of Ezekiel began to see a fulfillment far greater than any that God's people had seen back in ancient times. Let us now consider how the five promises we've already examined have seen a greater fulfillment. So, we talked about these five promises that Jehovah, quote-unquote, supposedly gave to the nation of Israel, I believe. And all through this book, one of the themes that they really hit on is the idea that everything in the book of Ezekiel is kind of a foreshadowing of future events. So they believe that there's meaning behind everything that's said here. If there's a story or a parable or a prophecy or anything told, there's an extra level of meaning behind it that only Jehovah's Witnesses can crack. Only the governing body can tell us about. I imagine these guys, I think there are like seven of them. I feel like it's seven governing body members, maybe more. I can imagine them sitting there in an office together with their Bibles, reading through this book of Ezekiel, taking notes on everything, and just kind of saying, I bet this means this, or I bet it means that. Just coming up with the craziest ideas. So, basically, the book of Ezekiel gives us five promises, as aforementioned. And in the last podcast, we talked about those five promises and that extra added level beyond what the book of Ezekiel gave us. The added level that the governing body members read into the book of Ezekiel. So the five promises were an end of idolatry and other disgusting religious practices, a restoration to the spiritual land of God's people. That was promise two. Promise number three is the resuming of gift offerings at Jehovah's altar. Promise four is the sifting out of bad shepherds. And promise number five, finally, was unity among worshipers of Jehovah. So if I remember correctly, I believe promise three, the resuming of gift offerings at Jehovah's altar, was unique because at that time, when when the promises were originally made in the book or whatever, there were animal sacrifices being made. But, you know, according to Christians... Jesus coming back and dying for everybody kind of nullified the need for animal sacrifices. It's kind of interesting to me that Jewish people don't do animal sacrifices today. I don't know, maybe they do, and I'm just uninformed on it. But anyways, in this paragraph, the greater fulfillment behind this, like the extra level, the extra layer that the governing body members came up with is... Our version of animal sacrifice today is going out and knocking on people's doors. That's what they said in this, if I remember correctly. They say, God's people were already making such sacrifices of praise. They were busy in the preaching work and happily praising God at their meetings. So there you go. That was, that, that's the greater fulfillment of promise number three, how it applies today, basically. So let's give paragraph number 31 a read. 
in the last one we read paragraph 31, but we'll just start from there and we'll go down to kind of refresh our memories. Promise number five, unity among worshipers of Jehovah. Over the centuries, Christendom has split into tens of thousands of denominations, including countless factions and sects that are hopelessly at odds. And let me just remind you guys, if you, for those of you who may not be Jehovah's Witness or ex-Jehovah's Witness, Christendom is kind of the... It's, it's basically Christianity that has lost its way. Jehovah's Witnesses purport to be the, true, the only true Christians. So Christendom is every other Christian who's wrong about things in their eyes. Okay, so continuing on, it says, In contrast, Jehovah has done something truly miraculous with his restored people. His promise through Ezekiel, I will give them a unified heart, has seen a glorious fulfillment. Around the world, Christ has millions of followers from countless ethnic, religious, economic, and social backgrounds. Yet all are taught the same truths and carry out the same work in marvelous harmony. On the final night of his life on earth, Jesus earnestly prayed that his followers would be united. Read John 17, 11, 20-23. In our day, Jehovah has fulfilled that request in the greatest way. Okay. Let's actually give this a quick read. It says John seventeen eleven, and then verses 20 to 23 also. Let's at least see how long it is. All right, so here's John seventeen eleven. It says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And then verses 20 to 23 say... My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, and they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Oh my God, how many times are you going to say this? Then the world will know that you sent me, and I have loved them even as you loved me. Holy hell. Thought I was never going to get through that. Okay, so that was John 17, 11, and then 20 to 23. To finish out that paragraph, it says, In our day, Jehovah has fulfilled that request in the greatest way. So, yeah, take from that what you will. They're talking about unity among worshipers, looking at it as this, this virtuous thing. But... Really, that's one of the markers on the bite model, is having a unified mindset like that. They're trying to replace your authentic personality with this fake mask. That's really what makes a cult when it comes down to it. They're influencing you in a very specific way to have a very specific mindset, specific opinions and ideas on things. So as they look at this in a... As they look at this from a virtuous perspective, I'm looking at this and unequivocally calling them a cult for this thing alone, being as unified, having a unified mindset as they do. I mean, agreeing with certain things is one thing, but this is a new level. This isn't just agreeing with everybody in, in that type of colloquial context. Okay, so that was paragraph 31. Let's take a look at uh, paragraph number 32. Are you not delighted to live during this thrilling time of restoration? We see the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecies in every facet of our worship today. 
We can be confident that Jehovah now looks on his people with favor, just as he foretold through Ezekiel. I will take pleasure in you. That's, I, there's a, there's an innuendo here. I'm, I'm going to be mature and avoid it. It says, I will take pleasure in you, Ezekiel twenty forty one. Do you realize what a privilege you have to be part of the unified, well-fed people who are offering praise to Jehovah around the world, a people freed after centuries of spiritual exile? Still, some of Ezekiel's restoration prophecies will see a greater fulfillment yet. I love this. D- listen to this line. Do you realize what a privilege you have to be part of the unified, well-fed people who are offering praise to Jehovah around the world? There's just a deep level of arrogance in that. I mean, these books are... I mean, they have writers, but it's all guided by the governing body. They put very specific phrasing in that they want to be in there. And they... They give the writers the ideas that they want to parse through and things. So I just find it fascinating. Like, this is a glimpse into some of the governing body members' headspace, kind of. Okay, so that was paragraph 32. The next subheading is called, Like the Garden of Eden. It's paragraph 33 is next. But let's just take a quick look at this chart that's on page number 108 says the times of restoration of all things and it's about paragraphs 23 and then 33 to 39 the promises i believe so it starts out it says when the apostle peter mentioned the times of restoration of all things he was speaking prophetically about a marvelous span of time that would begin with christ's enthronement as king and continue to the end of the millennium so it's kind of a timeline basically it starts at 1914 And then there's a wrinkle in the timeline, uh, basically saying we don't know how long, or we don't know how much time is going to pass. It says last days. It's between 1914 and then Armageddon. And then we have another wrinkle between Armageddon and the next thing, which is end of the millennium. This this is just a really fascinating chart I'm looking at here. So uh, on 1914, there's a little, uh, what do you call it? There's a little caption and it says jesus christ is enthroned as king in heaven spiritual restoration of god's people begins in 1919 and as i've mentioned uh, i'm not going to go through it again but 1914 was one of their failed predictions they had to make something up as an event that happened there because they'd made so many already so they said that jesus came back in 1914 use some weird bible math for it then they made another prediction for 1919 that one failed too So they made something else up for 1919. Uh, For the people who aren't ex-Jehovah's Witness among us, 1919 is the year that they claim that Jesus came back and came back to earth invisibly, inspected all the world's religions, and then settled on Jehovah's Witnesses as the one true religion. So I I guess it's kind of a checkbox game. They went down the list and said, yeah, they, they're unified in their thinking, and they don't celebrate Christmas, and they this and that and whatever else. And so Jesus picked them. So that was under the 19, that's the 1914 caption. Then we've got the Armageddon caption. It says, Christ's millennial reign begins, and the times of restoration of all things, quote-unquote, expands to include physical blessings for faithful humans on earth. I'm kind of I'm I'm trying to figure out what they're talking about there. 
So after Armageddon, as far as I understand it, now it's been a long time since I've looked into this. After Armageddon, there's going to be a thousand years where Jesus reigns as king. And then I think after that thousand years, they release Satan again to tempt people for one last time. I don't know why they do that. Why? I don't understand. Did they have to, like, okay, everybody's perfect at this point after Armageddon. Uh, We're not dying. Nobody's going to be dying. That's the plan. So we're basically Adam and Eve now. Why is God releasing Satan to tempt people? Why is he doing that? Couldn't he just leave them perfect? Why did... uh, This is confusing to me. Seriously, it doesn't make any sense at all. So it says, Christ millennial reign begins after Armageddon, and the quote-unquote times of restoration of all things expands to include physical blessings for faithful humans on earth. And then end of the millennium is the next caption. It says, Jesus completes all restoration work and hands the kingdom over to his father. It says, Jesus' rulership will restore, dot, dot, dot. We got some bullet points here. The first bullet point is glory to the name of God, health to the sick, youth to the elderly, life to the dead, perfection to faithful mankind, and paradise on earth. So Jesus starts ruling immediately after Armageddon, and then after a thousand years, hands everything back to his father. During that thousand years, Jesus' rulership will restore those, what, six things? Glory to God, uh, health to the sick, youth to the elderly, so on and so forth. Okay, so that was that last paragraph was number 32. Here's 33 under the subheading, like the Garden of Eden. As we've seen, the times of restoration of all things, quote-unquote, began with the restoration of the Davidic line of kings when Jesus was enthroned in 1914. Next, Jehovah empowered Christ to restore pure worship among his people after many centuries of spiritual exile. However, does Christ's restoration work stop there? Far from it. That work will continue in a spectacular way in the... uh, I'm sorry... That work will continue in a spectacular way in the future. And Ezekiel's prophecies give us soul-stirring details. Okay, right at the top of this paragraph here, they said, they, they mentioned the Davidic line of kings when Jesus was enthroned in 1914. Now, they talked about that I, maybe last chapter, where Jesus kind of continues the line of David, of King David. But this bothers me a little bit. Like, I can't let this sit. I have to address this. They're saying that Jesus is from David's bloodline, right? But he's not. The book of Matthew. You know, let's let's just pull up Matthew chapter 1. Let's just pull it up and take a look here. Okay, this is Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to start just reading a couple of the first verses. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, just keeps going on all the way down the list, right? And then right at the very bottom of chapter one, let's look at verses 15 and 16. It says, God, I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing these names. Elihud, the father of uh, Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. All right, well, let's pause here for a second. Where's the blood relation? 
Joseph was not all up in there in any way. She was supposedly a virgin, right? Joseph had no influence on this whole thing. I'm pretty sure the seed was God's and implanted into Mary. Joseph was just some asshole standing there with a pregnant wife and no explanation, really. I, I challenge the claim that Jesus was from David's bloodline. He would have to have been... Mary would have had to have been from David's bloodline for Jesus to be part of that. Joseph had nothing to do with it. So, anyway, that's one massive hole that I'm going to poke in their ideas here. I, I hear this all the time. I hear this constantly, how Joseph was Jesus' father. No, he wasn't. According to the lore here, he was not. He had no blood relation to him at all. He was just the guy who raised... The, it was a stepkid, at best. Just kills me. Okay, let's take a look at uh, paragraph number 34 next. Consider, for example, these inspired words. People will say, The desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. What did that promise mean to Ezekiel and his fellow exiles? They surely did not expect a full, literal fulfillment, as if the restored land might actually be mistaken for the original garden or paradise, the one planted by Jehovah himself. Rather, they no doubt understood that Jehovah was reassuring them that their restored land would be beautiful and fruitful. Okay, let's move on to 35. It says, What does the same promise mean to us today? We do not expect a literal fulfillment now, in the midst of this wicked world ruled by Satan the devil. Rather, we grasp that those words have a spiritual fulfillment today. As Jehovah's servants, we inhabit a restored spiritual land, a condition or environment wherein we serve pro- I'm sorry, wherein we serve productively and make and make his sacred service the center of our lives. This spiritual land is gradually steadily becoming ever more uh paradisaic. That's an interesting word I've never read before. Uh, becoming ever more paradisaic. What though about the future? So if you notice a common theme through this book, they're really pushing this whole, what's the word I'm looking for? They're really pushing the, the idea that you should be out there knocking on doors and preaching and all of that other good stuff. Okay, let's take a quick look at, uh, I think that was number 35. Let's take a look at 36. We're actually almost done with this chapter, Pretty not too much longer. Okay, number 36. After the Great War of Armageddon, Jesus will expand his restoration work to cover even the physical earth. During his thousand-year reign, he will direct mankind to turn this planet into a global Garden of Eden, a paradise, just as Jehovah always intended it to be. Then all humans will be in harmony with one another and with their earthly home. There will be no danger, no threat anywhere. Imagine a time when even this promise will be fulfilled. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and I will rid the land of vicious wild beasts so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the forests. Okay. I don't know why anybody would want to do that. Why would we want to sleep in the forests? I mean, I have plenty of protection from vicious wild beasts. I, I feel like they're trying to appeal to emotion here with the whole promise that, that they're given, but... It's not really that appealing to me. I already have that, so kind of a strange way to do it. Okay, let's look at paragraph number 37. Can you picture that? 
Without any fear, you'll be able to visit any part of this vast earth. No animal will harm you. No danger will threaten your peace. You'll be able to walk alone into the deepest forest, enjoying its majestic beauty. Even sleeping there in perfect safety, sure to wake up rested and unharmed. Honestly, that's really not something I worry about. I don't worry about, like, walking around and sleeping in forests. Why would I? That's really an odd thing to appeal to. But whatever. They are the experts in mind control. They know what they're doing. Okay, let's take a look at uh, paragraph 38. We will see this promise fulfilled as well. They will dwell on the land in security and build houses and plant vineyards, and they will dwell in security and... I'm sorry, and they will dwell in security when I execute judgment on all those around them who treat them with scorn. And they will have, and they will have to know that I am Jehovah their God. Ezekiel 28, 26. That's a quote, of course, from the New World Translation, their version of the Bible. After all of Jehovah's enemies are gone, we will enjoy peace and security earthwide. As we care for the earth, we will also be able to take care of ourselves and our loved ones, building comfortable houses to live in and planting vineyards to cultivate. Yeah, this is just a whole bunch of appeals to emotion here. This is That's really all this is. They're just trying to get people interested through these promises and everything. Uh, let's look at the final paragraph in this uh, chapter. Do these promises sound to you more like dreams? Remember, then, what you have already seen during this time of restoration of all things, quote-unquote. Despite Satan's fiercest opposition, Jesus has been empowered to restore pure worship during this world's darkest era. What powerful evidence that all of God's promises through Ezekiel will come true. Yeah, just a giant appeal to emotion, really, is all this this bit was. Uh, that's actually the end of chapter 9. I think that was a three-parter. That one was a really long chapter, 39 paragraphs. It's a lot longer than usual. I think typically we have like 25, 26, and we can split it up into two parts, but this one had to be three. So there are some questions at the end here. Your place in pure worship. Let's give the first question a read. These are kind of, FYI, these questions are kind of designed to get you to think, figure out what they wanted you to figure out throughout the chapter. So let's see what the first question says. What was Babylonian captivity like for the Jews, and why did Jehovah eventually liberate his people? And then number two, how was the Christian congregation corrupted, and what happened that was similar to the Babylonian captivity of the Jews? Number three, what promises of restoration did Jehovah make through Ezekiel, and how were they fulfilled on true Christians during the last days, meaning how were they fulfilled on Jehovah's Witnesses? Number four is, what are some restoration prophecies that you long to see fulfilled in paradise? There's the appeal to emotion. They're trying to get you to think about what you want and then telling you that you'll get it. And then number five, how can we show that we can appreciate, I'm sorry, how can we show that we appreciate the way that Jehovah has restored pure worship in our day? And of course, the answer to that one is, go knocking on doors. Would anybody expect any differently? So yeah, that's the end. Uh, they've got some artwork here right at the end. It's a picture of a girl sleeping in a forest in a dress. I don't know why she'd be sleeping in a dress. It's at night. You can tell because of the moon and the owls and everything. It's actually really nice artwork. Really, really well done. Very respectable artwork. And it, there's a caption that says, Imagine a time when it will be safe even to sleep in the forests. 
It's a really odd thing to harp on. Whatever. Then there's, uh, yeah, okay. That That's actually the end of the chapter. So pretty interesting chapter, it seems to me. There's a lot to extract from this. I really liked the end. Uh, I'm sorry. I liked the beginning of this one, the end of the last one, the promises. We were talking about unity among worshipers, uh, the sifting out of bad shepherds where they were talking about getting rid of, of bad elders, and then the resuming of gift offerings at Jehovah's altar. They were really pushing pretty hard on this whole go knocking on doors thing. Uh, spend your time letter writing or making phone calls talking about Jesus and Jehovah and all this other junk. That's really what they're pushing here. So it's really fascinating to get a glimpse into the mindset of the governing body members and into Jehovah's Witnesses more largely. But uh, yeah, that's the end. So I appreciate you guys coming and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next time.